everyone, and welcome to Light Conversations on Trauma podcast. Bringing conversations around hardship into the light. It's me, Peter Middleton, here, and I'll be hosting this podcast. This is a space for intimate and empathetic chat around trauma, big T or little t. We have regular sections to this podcast, so look out for them. And each episode, I'll be joined by a guest who will share their unique perspective. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Light Conversations on Trauma podcast. I'm here with Mike Gathers. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, been really looking forward to this conversation. And I wanted to ask you, Mike, what's your vibe? What's my vibe? Um, what a wonderfully open question. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's like, is like, is it a check-in or is it, what am I about or what am I in? So what, what I'm into right now, um, I've been through, uh, basically I'm on the tail end of like a three and a half year journey of healing, um, mm. dealing with some health, health stuff, Lyme disease and staph infections. Mm-hmm. And the last, little over the last year has really been challenging and what's up for me is is what i'll in jargon i'll call reclaiming my sovereign which in, in oh, yes. we're talking about like the lover the warrior the uh magician and the sovereign or the king as archetypes mm-hmm. and maybe reclaim but really just stepping into my power as a as a sovereign individual um i kind of got into this space where I, I thought I had recovered from my, my illness and I relapsed okay. and just kind of fell into a rabbit hole, I think, of, of uh, poor me. And uh, uh, so uh, I would try to stand up on my own two feet and I just kind of get toppled over very easily. And then the last uh, month, I've really been shifting big there and, and really Stand, stepping into my power, as they say, uh, just kind of uh, uh, just, just claiming my mm. my responsibility to myself. Wow, that yeah. is beautiful. Thank you. I can hear that, and then really celebrate that because I f- I feel like I'm in a similar place, but also I just. I recognize it so much in you and and I just think that that big intake of breath that that you that you had just then was a beautiful thing just like ah yeah that's what's happening yeah wow Wow, so this is a good moment in time I'm I'm so glad that we're we're doing it around around this moment as well yeah this is exciting for me you and I we've spent a lot of time together but it's mostly in silence in our writing group (laughs) doing our writing so it's cool to to talk to you yeah you're right 
it is it's very cool so the first section that you picked was riding the waves of change does that mean to you mike um but that one really just hits me because i think we're uh globally on so many levels hitting this this period of of change massive change i don't think this coronavirus is a temporary thing or i mean the virus itself may be temporary but it's it's like catalyzing a major change in the world or accelerating our change i think we're mm. uh, we're at this cusp of transition i've talked about this a little bit in different ways there we're moving from like uh, we've moved from hunter gatherers to agriculturists to industrialists to whatever this post-industrial technological technological society so this is sociologic change yeah and and even on like a geologic scale that they're talking about how we're in a new geologic age where where nature and humankind are completely interdependent and can't really separate them anymore and mm. and even uh you, you and i talked about this briefly but like on an economic level we are uh, at what ray dalio calls like a 70-year debt cycle we're on a tail end of that which really has to do with the rise and fall of nations and uh mm-hmm. You know, American dominance is on its decline and China is rising. And that doesn't mean China is going to take over, but we're just at this huge transition on so many levels. Uh, yeah. Economically, uh, nationalistically, sociologically, even geologically. And and mm-hmm. so, and more, and coronavirus more than ever, just like, wow, everything is destabilized. And everybody I talk to, I think we're just like globally stressed out. And, um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I, this sea of change is like, whoa, or waves of change. Like, oh, boom, right yeah. there in everybody's face. And, um, and so what does that mean to me? Um, well, what it means to me is that we need to, that maybe as part of this social media technology thing that we've lost touch with our bodies and we've lost touch with, relationship with others we've kind of got this bastardized version of relationship through texting and social media which is uh, Mm -hmm. and and so yeah it can feel it can feel satisfying can't it i mean it's i i sort of relate it to eating a mcdonald's which is like emotionally kind of good but nutritionally like sparse you know Mm. do you know what i mean you get that dopamine hit, but it's really not, uh, not yeah. really feeding your soul and your body so well. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I love that. Yeah, so so to me, it's like everything, all the structures and, and stability in the world is being kind of the rug is being pulled out from us. And, and so where do we find our ground? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that we start with the body and uh, learning to just, get back in touch with our body and our body needs to feel safe and uh or a certain measure of safety and security uh and to me that that 
we we developed that through connection mm. and um and yeah. then we need a sense of self we kind of i think we're, we're losing our sense of who we are as individuals um and that, that is also through connection and what i would say is emotional regulation mm. um, and that yeah. uh, we say we make to be in relationship is to make contact and to make contact is where I begin and you end or where I end and you begin. We meet at the boundaries. So we have to have like not necessarily clear, rigid boundaries, but just uh, supple, well-developed, flexible boundaries, like a, like a well-developed muscle that's also flexible yes. and strong and can, can, um, can step in when it needs to, but can also be soft and gentle. But yeah. Um, I like that. I mean, there's a, there's an idea about the semi-permeable membrane, you know, like right. the cell, that's how the cells work. You know, they, and then they have a boundary there that regulates what is brought into the cell. If it's useful. Okay. That's a biological mechanism, but it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like to pretend that we're not of nature and that, that these macro concepts don't actually apply in those natural terms, but they very much do, you know, the semi-permeable membrane is what you were saying, like supple, flexible, but it is, it's required, right? It's like we have to develop that within ourselves. I, yeah, big time. I think uh, emotional and relational intelligence is uh, really a difficult challenge to develop. Very few of us are, are are given those tools and we have to develop it on our own. And I, but I love this semi-permeable membrane. What to me, that's about what comes up for me is like, can I be receptive and then take what's useful and what's nourishing and then discard what isn't? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll allow the good stuff in and then have that boundary that says, no, I'm not going to allow the bad stuff or I'm just going to let that go. Yeah. So I think, but just returning to this notion of like, getting into our bodies, like right now, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm aware of my feet and just feeling my feet on the ground beneath me. And literally, mm-hmm. it's literally getting grounded, you know, just the whole world is maybe inside out and upside down, but I could still feel my feet on the ground and uh, find support in that. And I can look, I can look at you right now, or I can turn to my wife, and I can feel that connection, and uh, mm-hmm. and I can say, you know, I'm really feeling wigged out by everything that's going on right now. And my wife yeah. could say, yeah, I I am too, and and we're here with each other. Yeah, and there's a certain sense of safety there, or just knowing that we're in this together. Yeah, and I think that we can. Uh, all like enhance not just my partner relationships but everybody relationships with everyone in a way to like even when you talk about political divide i don't think it's we're as divided as as we're told we all Mm. are good people at heart and we all want what's best for the world but maybe we have really radically different ideas about how that needs to happen yeah but at the end of the day our, our our basic needs are the same yeah i love i love what people say Uh, i think it's byron katie i'm not sure but i think she says like we're all believers right it sounds like a byron 
Katie. Yeah. yeah, right. And we are, we are. Like, it's so easy to write people off as this and that, but they believe in what they believe. I believe mm-hmm. in what I believe. You know, there's a certain amount we have to meet each other somewhere. It's so easy, like so polarized right now. So easy to polarize, isn't it? Yeah, I have a, a Byron Katie book on my shelf. It is the, the title of uh, something along the lines of "Without Your Story, What Would You Be?" or "Who Would You Be?" <laughs> She's wonderful, yeah. isn't she? <laughs> yeah, and I think that really sums up so much. Like we're all wrapped up in these stories in our head. Yeah. And uh, if you can if you can let go of those stories and and tune into your body and tune into connection and relationship and emotions, then that's mm-hmm. this may sound a little unorthodox, but to me that's where the truth lies. Yeah. Well, that's a personal belief that I have as well. But I think there's an underlying essence to to everybody that can emerge if it's given the right environment to do so. You talked a few times about safety already mm. and, and like just having a partner to, to witness things with some, some things can't be fixed and, and it's, yeah. yeah, it's all about just experiencing with someone. I love, I'm taking a course with Hen Lizra right now. And she says that the anti, the antidote to, to hope, hopelessness is actually deep relational space. It's not actually hope. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the hope comes. Yeah. We miss that step, right? Yeah. And something you said earlier, um, I think it starts with awareness and acceptance. Like (laughs) awareness, like, yeah, the world is a mess right now. Yes, it is. (laughs) Pretend otherwise. And let's just like, and that's, let's not pretend we can put it back together or we're going to get a vaccine and everything's going to go back to normal in six months. It's like, no, this is a, yeah, this is a mess and it may be truly our new normal. And it, it, it maybe it's not, but for right now it sure is. So let's just accept that instead of resist it and let go of that struggle of resistance. And then we can move forward and get into our bodies and get into connection. Yeah. I think I would be interested in your thoughts on this, but I think there's, there's a common perception when you're, when, when I'm not in the place that I want to be. And then I sort of, fan, I fantasize like I throw a projection out into the future and that means that I'm not fully accepting my reality. And actually what that means is that I'm less likely to create that future because I haven't fully accepted why it's happening and what is happening in, in me and around me that makes that the case. Right. Right. I'm trained in, in Gestalt therapy and in Gestalt we say, um, there's a thing called the paradoxical theory of change. And what that says is that I'm not going to get it just right, but it's kind of like the paradox is that in order to change, we must first accept where we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Nice. So I'm I'm interested that you're in a big change moment right now. Mm -hmm. And and you seem to be like emerging from it, which is really good to see. Um, So I'm, I'm interested in your reflections on the change period, you know, this period of time that you've been through so um, your, your process through it. Boy, that's a great question. Cause I feel like I'm still in the middle of it. Um, okay. But can you be more specific maybe? Or yeah, sure. 
I just wondered if there's any like, and there's no pressure to be like any kind of depth, but um, I'm just wondering because for me, like I, I'm also in this place, I'm just emerging from this big change period and I'm sort of reflecting on the, the way that I handled the change, I guess, mm-hmm. and you person that I'm seeing in myself, like emerging in myself. So right. it, just any reflections, like any emotions that come up in you or anything. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just in terms of the global picture with um, mm-hmm. you know, this three-year health journey I've been on, I feel like I'm like coronavirus is just another whatever kind of I've been dealing with uh, health in my own way. And I've already kind of been through what the rest of the world seems to be going through in a way. Um, mm. So I'm ready for it, I guess. It does, it's not really, um, it feels like I've been there, done that, and, and I'm just kind of rolling with what's going on. But uh, in the bigger picture, I think I just had this um, dark night of the soul kind of thing where uh, I really just kind of ran into my own limitations. Wow, I think that you know we we uh, we develop when we're young. You know, we're not just fully developed when we come out of the womb. We go through this developmental phase, and we develop uh, various protections to keep us safe in what's an unsafe world, so right. to speak, imperfect world. And and those those become uh, habits of protection, or in Gestalt we call them creative adjustments. Hmm. But they're habits that they're largely unconscious. And uh, and they run on autopilot, and and they they served us well when we were young. But as we get older, we find out they're really limiting. And okay. uh, so I just kind of really bumped up in a huge, magnificent way against my limitations. And it's really that calling to, um, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, just step into my my power as a as a sovereign as a sovereign individual that, that exists within a community, a global community. I don't want to lose track of this community. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I think we've got this huge struggle between people that are individualists and people that are in the community. We could call that conservatives and liberals if we want, but to me, it's about both. It's about being an individual that is community minded and is aware that, that we have an impact on others. But back yeah. to me more deeply, I, I just feel like um, I lost track of the question. I was trying to reframe. It's all good. I just, I sort of <laughs> asked you your, your reflections anyway. So it's just really good to hear them. But I also, I would love to know, like, cause it's in my own experience, I sort of had the sense of who I was becoming. I just didn't, mm-hmm. I just didn't like have the tools or the resources and then, the process was, you know, and also the, all of the stuff that goes with change, like the grieving and, you know, forgiving old self, like old behaviors. And like you said, the, the process. Yeah. Of the process. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. have a sense, did you have a sense of yourself when you were going through this period or was it a surprise? <laughs> um, there was a certain, victimhood that i was carrying i see yeah i thought you know i've i've worked out this issue and uh 
suddenly I was aware like, oh, I, I've scratched the surface on this issue, but I maybe didn't quite realize how deep the rabbit hole went. Okay. And I'm still yeah, working through that, I think. But uh, mm. yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about me that was being called to step into something greater and was just resisting it. Yeah. Furiously. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting. I think like if you look back through history, a lot of, I don't know, edu I guess edu educated, I don't mean in the, in the like rigid societal sense, but educated people in whatever they choose to educate themselves in definitely have an aspect they respond to society as well right they have to because yeah and and just in like you said the world's a mess um and it's very polar polarized pol politically and you know environmentally it's very challenged as well right like we're still dealing yeah. with that and so and so i th i feel like your calling is yeah it's like that speaks to me because i had the same aspect it's like i i sat down one day and i thought well how am i going to respond what am i going to tell my my kids that i did in this time you know mm. what am i going to sit down and say i i saw what was happening and what did i do mm. love that yeah yeah that really yeah. speaks to me in that through a lot of these journeys, I, I lost touch with my passion and my purpose. What what I really wanted to be on mission is is I've always had a sense of the greater good and wanting to make an impact in the world. And maybe I, as I turned inward and focused on health, I I lost track of that. And in a sense, I stalled out in a way because that is part of my health is is being on mission and responding to my calling and not yeah. deny. Yeah, that's where the juice comes from, right? Like the purpose. Yeah. It's right. a never ending fountain. I think that's what they were talking about, the fountain of youth, you know. They were mm. they were searching for it everywhere. But I think yeah, my personal opinion is that the ancient texts are like metaphors, you know. So mm. if, if we find the purpose, you know, we, we find the spring of energy that we can call on when things get tough and yeah right yeah what's it yeah your your values your your purpose those all yeah help us kind of uh, align the compass so we're moving in the right yeah. direction yeah pointing in the right direction i'm glad that you're finding that again <laughs> welcome back <laughs> yeah, thank you <laughs> we, had a, we had a reiki session the other day didn't we and it, and that was yeah. as well that was uh you know, it's one of those things where it's 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 hard to really pinpoint what happened, but something uh, this this stepping into my sovereign, um, mm -hmm. I think, was catalyzed right before that, and then that really helped right. helped my my shift. Yeah, it was excellent timing because I, yeah. like you said, I've known you for a while, and we've been on these calls, these writer calls, and they've been amazing. But I I very much had the sense that oh, I should ask Mike if he wants a Reiki session and then, and then that happened. So it was, it was pretty cool. That was perfect. Oh, lovely. Right. Okay. Let's move on to the next section. Um, you pick love through hardship. 
Love through hardship. Oh, yeah. That also just um, brings up some interesting things. So, so I have a men- my mentor in Gestalt, um, a guy named Dewey Freeman that heads up the Gestalt Institute of the Rockies here in in, in Golden, Colorado, mm-hmm. and uh, he had a saying, has a saying. Let me get this right. Trust is built by going through hard times and coming out okay. Mm-hmm. And um, that really, you know, there's this kind of, uh, I don't know, love is just this interesting subject, but, you know, it starts out with this kind of crush or this, I don't know if we call it romantic love, but, you know, we, we develop a, a crush on somebody and we explore that relationship, but that lasts, you know, six months or a year. and yeah, it's and, like the uh, infatuation. Perfect, infatuation. Yeah. And then the, uh, you know, after six months or a year, the infatuation spell starts to fade. Mm. And uh, a lot of times what we tend to do is we, d- we don't know a person all that well in the beginning and we project into the gaps and we have like this rosy picture and then the infatuation fades and then we're, we're left dealing with... Uh, farts in bed and warts and, and those kind of things. And, yeah. and, uh, and then I think that's where the real uh, challenge begins. And, and so that to me, maybe that's the hardship, but learning how to really truly relate to each other, um, building that trust, knowing that we can go through hard times and come out okay. And what that means to me really on an, another level is um, that in, in relationships, we talk about there's a rupture to the relationship. So we're connected and then we, we disconnect through a rupture. And then it's really relationships to me. And those ruptures are going to happen. They're inevitable. And it's different from separation. Like we can't just be connected all the time. Um, I think one of the men's work guys out there will say that men grow in solitude. Mm. The mas- maybe, maybe it's the better way to put it is the masculine grows yeah. in solitude. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a necessary separation that has to occur. We're not always just joined at the hip, but but different from separation is disconnection. We have that rupture to the relationship. And in my mind, relationship, the real challenge to relationship is navigating those disconnections and creating the repairs. Yeah. And that's to me that trust building process. You have a disconnection you get dysregulated emotionally, you start pointing the finger and blaming at each other and you did this and you did that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really a, that process to me is about owning like what's mine. You know, I, I, I jumped the gun. I, I, I said something that triggered you because I was triggered. I got to own that I started this or that I, I went off the rails and uh, I'm sorry. And, and I, I could see from, you know, and then understand the other person's point of view. There's this whole process yeah. of, of repairing in relationship 
Yeah. And uh, it's really difficult. That's yeah, that emotional intelligence piece, I think. Emotional, relational intelligence. Learning to, to pull back from the cycle of madness and take a breath and own what's yours and bring that vulnerably back to the relationship so that you can repair the connection. Yeah. And I think when you, when you get good at that, then that, that really builds that confidence that, uh, you know, Hey, we could have these hard times. They're going to happen. They're inevitable. Yeah. And we can, uh, but we're, we're developing the skills to navigate those messy spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we're never going to eliminate the mess. Maybe we'll get better at it. Maybe we'll work through some issues. We'll grow as individuals. We'll grow as a couple. Mm -hmm. There'll be another something that trips us up because it's just a never-ending process. Yeah, it's just part of life, isn't it? Yeah. I love, so I love that you bring up the um, just the sense of like ruptures and disconnections because I feel like the, the narrative for us is like... Um, yeah trying to ignore that like or trying to create a relationship that doesn't have ruptures um in the first yeah. place and then it's a shock when they come along right and actually that doesn't allow us the tools to to repair the rupture because we're in shock like and then and then like you said we go to blaming or shaming you know judgments or dismissals or I love I love the sense that whenever you point your finger, there's three there's three fingers pointing back at you. Right. So yeah, there's, there's more, more pointing back at you than there is pointing out. There's this relationship fantasy, I think, that it should just be all harmony and rainbows and butterflies and roses, and it's just not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's that infatuation period, and you can just go from infatuation to infatuation. But uh, for a long term relationship, it's I, I think the fantasy is that it can be perfect and it's just a glorious mess. Yes. In my, and uh, you got to embrace the mess and learn to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it, it really stems maybe a bit from a bit deeper than our relationship with our, well, with ourselves, but also, you know, the, the, the cultural narrative around decay as well and death is like, it's not advanced. And I think I'm, I'm thinking right now about secondary intent, you know, like for example, I had a um, conversation with, with someone the other day where I got angry about something and I started defending myself, but actually what I was doing was trying to prove to them that I was trustworthy because mm. you know, they were saying something that I perceived as untrustworthy and then, and my response to that was, so yeah, all of these things, they have, to, it's a, yeah. What do you say? A beautiful mess. Is that what you say? Yeah. Glorious, yeah. a beautiful mess. Cause it's like, we can't control, we just can't control everything. And I, th I think I, I mean, that's certainly how I grew up is trying to control environment and make sure everything's nice and neat and tidy and where it should be. Mm. Um, so yeah yeah I think that right that's another protection that we have against the, mm. the beautiful chaos around us yeah and by the way like chaos is the, the underlying um, principle of physical form isn't it 
entropy, everything decays. That's yeah. That's yeah, it. the world seems the world seems really solid, but it's really not so much. Yeah. Nice. Mm. So, anything else that you would love to bring to this space? Oh, I guess let's see. That's just that love through hardship. Ah, I, you know, I think that really sums it up. I, I hear this uh, quote from Viktor Frankl a lot that, um, what is it, between stimulus and response, there's a space where you have a choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And it can really create a lot of shame, like, ah, oh, I missed that space between the choice because I just, mm-hmm. and so when we talk about rupture and repair, to me, that's more forgiving. It, it allows for, their, for me to miss that space, to, to fuck up, to be messy, to trigger a cycle of dysregulation in the relationship. Okay. And that'd be okay because I'm going to go in and repair that. Mm-hmm. And as or, I do or, more work. Yeah. Well, like trust, oh, sorry, or trust for it to be repaired naturally, or, you know? Yeah. Like and, for and, it to uh, unfold as it as it must. Or, right. Yeah. I feel like as we do, like my wife and I, as we step into those spaces of dysregulation and rupture and we learn to do the repair, that's where we learn more about ourselves and we learn to grow. We, we improve our capacity for regulation. So that particular, whatever that trigger was that created that disruption, we might get more mindful about that. And then we may be able to do the Viktor Frankl thing where we can have choice because we get better and better at that. And we can catch ourselves more quickly and, and avoid such a mess and we can step into a different choice. But but to just step into that choice is amazingly difficult to me. There's a real process of growth and learning that has to take place yeah. so that you can make those choices. And to me, that that's that process of allowing for ruptures and then making the repair. Yeah. That's interesting. Because in, in any, I guess in any rupture scenario, you're going to come across the safety um, the security aspect of your ego, right? Like it's going to try and try and um, ensure your safety, which is a great function sometimes, sometimes maybe not. Right. So yeah, it's just about navigating those. And I, I go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was just, yeah. Thinking over that, I think, when the the way that we approach ourselves when we make a mistake is also like really really important right it's like if you make a mistake sometimes that is the deepest kind of groove that you have it's like um where do you go to when you've you perceive that you mess something up yeah i think when we start on in this path of of conscious living we start to become aware of what a big bundle of habits we are. Yes. And, and often the first thing that people experience is like they become aware of their, their habits and then they, they, their immediate response is shame. Oh, uh-huh. what a, look at what a mess I am. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the human condition. You know, we, we're all a big bundle of habits. And, and, you know, the first thing you can do is just drop that 
a shame response and, and accept that you are a big bundle of habits and a, and a wonderful, beautiful mess. And mm-hmm. then you can step into, you know, say that acceptance piece before the change, piece, the mm. change. Yeah. Mm. That you brought up trust right away. I, that's already because I've been reading around trust as a state of being rather than um, something that someone proves to you, right? Mm. Mm. I think that really proceeds, doesn't it? Has to proceed. Ultimately, I I think there's like trust in myself. Mm-hmm. In my relationship, in my relationship with my wife, I have trust that as a couple we can navigate messy spaces. We've built that trust together, uh-huh. but in general, with the world, I think is if I don't trust that person, maybe I'm projecting. It's I don't trust myself to navigate this situation, and I need to to really take a look at what what's going on and take responsibility yeah. for. Me. Yeah, yeah, and I think. I think that's one of the most challenging aspects of our time is trust in the wider society. I know that America is very polarized and the, and, and yeah, well, it's an understatement, isn't it? But, um, the president is obviously very, very, um, um, a lot of people are critical of him. He's being, he, he's very immature in some aspects. Um, that's what I wanted to say about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's hard. It's hard to cultivate that trust in when you're seeing that kind of chaos in your environment. But I'm, yeah, I think, I think uh, our, our American president is uh, really plays the victim card really well. He does, and and he's really inspiring everybody else's victim card and and uh Mm -hmm. and that is uh boy i don't know how how deep we want to go there but just it's not relational when you're playing victim you're in that victim persecutor rescuer drama triangle oh yeah that's not relational that's not one-to-one connection that's that's three's a crowd you've got the victim the persecutor and the rescuer Mm -hmm. It's, it's just not a relational space is what i'm saying yeah exactly yeah exactly and it's a space of responsibility it's like well it's their fault yeah exactly yeah and it's perpetuating right it goes round and round because yeah i think it's inspiring a lot of people to really play out their own victim yeah and uh, yeah it makes me think of einstein i love einstein so much like albert einstein he said you can't fix a problem from the consciousness that created it right right i've probably said that before on this podcast but um (laughs) it's true it's so true and and but i think maybe the beauty in all this Mm -hmm. is that he is really highlighting this complex the victim complex yeah Uh, i don't like a lot of what he's doing um Mm-hmm. But we had this kind of political correct thing where we didn't talk about racism and sexism. Oh, we've solved those problems. Mm-hmm. We're going to just politically correct. We're not going to talk about them. And he just kind of ripped the scab right off that. And it's like, yeah. uh, oh, there's a real problem here. And, and if, I don't think he's healing anything, but he's certainly bringing awareness. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Natik Han, the 
the B- Buddhist monk, he says, no, no mud, no lotus. I heard that this week. That no mud, not the, um, um, yeah, he's, he says no mud, no lotus. <laughs> so I see what you're saying. You know, it takes, it takes, um, the mud has to rise, right? It's, it's got to. Mm-hmm. And I th- what I'm hearing from you in the political correctness thing is that is shame. It's like people, I remember that in this country, in the UK, like in the 90s, everyone was too scared to say how they actually felt. Um, and it, even if that was um, problematic and uncomfortable for other people, even if it was oppressive and, um, you know, nothing's going to change until like, like we said before, the awareness and the acceptance, like, yeah, we have to have these conversations as a society. We have to, and we stopped, we stopped doing that like 20 years ago. So there's no, there's no surprise that this is coming to the fore now because that's just enough time for it to like be repressed and then be systemized and then, and then come up as this, you know, volcano of, kind of anger and resentment and hatred yeah you you can't stuff it in the closet you have to open yeah. up that closet door and let the air and the light in and shine the light on it so that yeah. we can so that we can really deal with it so right. thank you president trump for shining the light on for bringing things into the light there's the gratitude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a spiritual piece yeah <laughs> nice okay right that's uh Wow, that's that was amazing. Um, okay, next. So we had a we had a little discussion on the next one. So there was either shame or or inner voices. What's calling you? Well, let's uh, maybe call it both. But mm-hmm. the 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 name of it that I I feel called to is is share a shame. Okay, share a shame. I always felt this, but I never felt like I could tell anyone. Share a shame. So I've been kind of talking really philosophically, but to bring it back to me, Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, one of my biggest shames is is, uh, as a father, I don't, I feel like I've been an angry dad too much. Okay. Um, I had, and, and I, I don't want to make this as an excuse, but it's just to contextualize things. As, as when my kids were very young, I had a couple of concussions, oh. and the second one was really nasty. And so I spent a few years recovering from that, and I kind of got back on my feet. And then I got hit with a staph infection, which led to you know, bringing this dormant Lyme disease to the surface. And I've just kind of been challenged uh, physically. And that's led, you know, when your physical is challenged, then your emotions are really volatile. And I've just been mm-hmm. an angry dad that I never wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of shame and resentment around that. I have an inner critic that's just like, you're not cutting it as a dad. So that inner voice is like, oh, you need to be doing better. You need to be doing better. You need to be doing better. Right. And and, and in fact, last night in my men's group, we had this discussion about not wanting to be the parents to our children that our parents were to us. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just so incredibly hard. You know, that's, uh, 
maybe impossible because I am my father's son yeah, and I'm working to grow and change. But I've also just inherited this legacy of, uh, of anger. Um, mm. And I think we all, you know, we inherit our own emotional, uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, imprint. Yes. Yes. Imprint. Thank you. Beautiful. Cause those things run deep. It's, you know, we take mm-hmm. these, on. our nervous system is growing, developing as, as young children. And it goes through another big change in adolescence. And we take on from our environment. It's not just genetic. It's this combination of genes and environment that shapes how we are. And, uh, and it's my experience that nothing triggers me like my kids can trigger me. Mm. And I, I think that really they're just wonderful little mirrors that reflect back who we are. And if you haven't really come to terms with the real depth of who you are and you see that reflected back, it can be incredibly difficult. Yes. And uh, yes. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I, what, what my mind goes is I've got to create a, a child that's, it's different and better and more evolved than I was. And mm. that's impossible in a way, or maybe not impossible is the right word, but what I really have to come to grips with is that I, you know, it's that be the change you want to see in the world, be the change you want to see in your children. I can try to mm-hmm. mold my children any which way, but at the end of the day, they're just following my example. Yeah. And so as well. Right. Say again somatically as well right oh yeah yeah there's uh, i think there's i'm really they're inspiring me and my children are uh, middle school and, and high school they're adolescents now and i think that's that mm-hmm. that period where the masculine really comes into play you know um what do you want to be in the, and they're both boys so but what do you want to be in the world and how do you want to stand in this world and what do you stand for mission purpose and, um but it's just, it's time for me to set the right example. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is, is one of the big things that's calling me forth to really get my shit together, so to speak, is, is to right. set the right example for my children. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for knowing. For knowing. Uh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, pause yeah. there for a second. Yeah, let's pause, yeah. So that's when it comes to shame and and the inner voice Mm -hmm. that's that's a lot of my my critic is like you've got to be a better dad right and and really just is about me stepping into who i am as a as a man and a father and a husband and my career as a coach all of those wonderful things yeah um are you are you open to reflection on that I'd love to hear something. Great. Uh, what I'm hearing is that you're taking, you're take. Oh well. First of all, I think what I hear is nature versus nurture. Like there's an imprint that we all have, and and that's our nature. And then if we deny that and shame that out out of ourselves, it often, you know, the way that it works is it comes back, bites us on the ass. But I'm also hearing that. Like it's so common for any one of us, I feel, to to say like, oh, my parents, 
my parents didn't do a good job or I, d- I don't wish to to raise my children in that manner whereas we're sort of weighting that towards the negative mm-hmm. is there is there anything that you embrace from your father i well i embrace that my parents did the best that they could right and i don't know that their generation was really tuned in to doing developmental work and creating change they just wasn't really on their radar no it was yeah for sure and um and so i you know there's a more esoteric theory that we draw people into our lives that that you know catalyze the change sure that i don't with my parents you know that could be a little even more esoteric and mm-hmm. that we choose our parents and, and I, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, mm-hmm. so it's an interesting story that I sometimes subscribe to. Yeah. But, um, I, I think I just have chosen to accept my parents and, 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 you know, it's real easy to, to say they could have done a better job. And, uh, you know, if it's a common story you hear, it's like blame the parents. And at the end of the day, I think they did the best they can. We're all deliciously imperfect. Mm-hmm. And we have to accept that, you know, a friend of mine has this wonderful saying, what is it? Fate is the cards you're dealt. Destiny is how you play them. And so, you know, my parents dealt me the cards um or they're they're part of the dealership and uh Mm -hmm. it is what it is and it's really up to me to just take the cards and and start playing poker the best i can yeah i like that um and so i'm you know trying to pass on a better legacy to my children and hopefully they will pass on a better legacy to their children and will continue to evolve and grow as a species Oh, that's beautiful. Um, you mentioned that your relationship, your partnership is is a good space for rupture. Do you does that translate to your children now or are they into are they in cuz teenagers like that's the quintessential like change like chaos, right? <laughs> and it's you know, I'm maybe at a point where I'm really wanting to bring more to my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And as teenagers, they're in a different place. Teenage, you know, adolescence is a lot about pushing back and separating from the parents. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm really yeah. wanting to connect and they're kind of like, hold, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me something to push back on. And, uh, it's it's really a new phase for me. I think I'm I'm this adolescent phase is is uh, fresh and new, and I'm learning to navigate that space. And and, right. and so part of it is just learning to appreciate that they're pushing back, and that's where they're at. And then that that can be okay. That I can hold my ground and say, "All right, I'm here to connect with you when you're available to connect." Yeah, I'm yeah. here to be. Uh, be solid for you when you need something to push back on. And uh, when you push back, I'm going to try not to take it so personally. Uh, 
that's maybe the biggest work for me is like not to take it personally and uh, go into my trigger space and then get all hot, hot headed. And, you know, why don't you connect with me? Right. Right. Uh, and, and, probably, uh, probably the biggest challenge that you're ever going to face. Right. Ah, so many. Yeah. Just parenting in general has definitely been the biggest challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, uh, I was at a dinner with a group of therapists uh, years ago and then this therapist had uh, her kids were in college or leaving college, but she just gave me this word of wisdom that this phrase of parenting is a continual process of letting go. Mm. And that just has served me so well because whenever I get wrapped around the axle with parenting, it's typically because I'm trying I want them to show up in a certain way and I have to let go of that and, and get into my body so that I can connect with them where they're at. Yeah. As my wife likes to tell me, be the adult. Yes. And and so, you know, get into my body and connect with them with where they're at. I think that's the adult thing to do is, you know, I meet you where you're at. You're the child on the, or the adolescent, I'm the parent. I got to respect that my job as a parent is to meet you where you're at. Right. And to do that, I have to let go of where my idea of where you should be at or where right. I want you to be at. Yeah. And I had, I had that from you earlier that, you know, it's so tempting to play, play out um, our own stories in our children. And really, yeah, it's just another case of, yes, they, they are children of you, but they're also not you. <laughs> it's yeah and just those wonderful mirrors like i think our relationships we attract Mm. people in our lives that challenge us naturally yeah i believe that and uh yeah yeah, so there's this wonderful i think intimate relationships are a wonderful vehicle for growth and development and transformation and Mm. then kids, kids take that to another level really uh because they are you know they are part of you they're a part of your partner or your their you know their biological other parent and you just see all of it right there in front of you um do you um do you have some awareness like when you're feeling shame do you have any awareness of it like where it sits in your body or how you generally feel so i think there's a lot of you know, we talk about shame and we talk about, you know, there's a lot of stories that go around shame Mm. and at its core to me, shame is a, a, a state of being where we go beyond emotional dysregulation into overwhelm. Mm. Our emotions are so challenged and we're so not equipped to dysregulate or to regulate them that if we get dysregulated, Mm. and go into overwhelm Mm -hmm. and that state of emotional overwhelm to me is what defines shame Mm -hmm. um and uh and i lose my sense of self because Mm -hmm. i'm not regulated emotionally and i'm just a mess so that for me shame is a feeling of confusion of overwhelm of reactivity um and it's it's not an easy place to recognize when you're in it no no 
the very nature of it yeah stops you from doing that yeah i mean i can tell you that i'm ashamed of my track record or, or part of my track record as a parent mm. and, and that's, that's just a story the real thing is that my kids will trigger me it just sends me right into overwhelm and then i react in anger mm. and uh and that to me is is that you know, I've just kind of disassociated. Disassociation maybe is the best yeah. word. Emotional overwhelm is you know, I'm disassociated. I'm checked out. I'm in this state of shame. Mm. Um, so that in psychological terms, that is like having a separated part of yourself that you don't recognize, right? Uh, I would even say it, it, it just goes a step further that disassociation is like just where I'm completely separated from myself. It's not just a part. Oh. It's like the whole me is. Oh, uh, wow. So that reflection. So then the reflections in your environment become pretty crucial for you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Then it's, it's really helpful if you can have somebody there to help bring you connect with you and, Bring it or give you space to 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 calm down and then when you right. calm down you can begin to reconnect and yeah i actually learned something about this today in the course i'm taking about and that part of the course is about polyvagal theory and mm. that's really awesome so it's like there's three versions there's like they use yeah. the traffic, they use the traffic light right but it's like rest and digest and then the second one is fight and flight which is like i always get them wrong is it sympathetic sympathetic is fight or flight yeah so and then there's a third there's a third sort of escalation which is freeze you know so it's like yeah that's it that's i think think of it as, as collapse right um we talk about the polyvagal it used to be like there's fight or flight and rest and digest yeah, and, and what the scientists know, noticed is there's actually two states to rest and digest. What, what we're calling the parasympathetic, really. Mm-hmm. There's there's a state of of rest and digest, we'll call it, and that is really a state of connection and safety, is what we're finding. Ah. social social engagement. But the other state of that polyvagal is 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 uh, of parasympathetic is collapse. Ah. It's, when, when when fight or flight become that's that when you become so emotionally overwhelmed um that fight or flight and sympathetic arousal becomes so much that you just collapse i see yeah. so interesting so interesting yeah nice well the last section in the podcast is always free 15 so i mean we okay. can expand on anything or you can bring something completely new to the table um well, I think I want to wrap on um, this overarching model that I've been really tuning back into for myself. Great. Um, that I, I, I think um, we can look at our psychological health in terms of, of, of physical intelligence, emotional intelligence, uh, conceptual or cognitive intelligence, and, and then social intelligence. And those are, in my mind, based on developmental stages. So mm-hmm. you have the, the infant is concerned with physical survival. And the, the core right there is like fear or terror. Is oh, wow. the world safe? Is the world okay? Is the world safe? And to me, this is the realm of the polyvagal theory where it's like, 
uh, we could become dysregulated. We look to our mother for connection and safety. Our mother is the world. We look to them. Is it safe? Mm-hmm. Is the world? Um, and then, you know, this is the realm of attachment theory. And how do you cope when it's not safe? How do you cope with stress? And when you don't feel safe, do you, do you turn to others or, or was the other in your life? Not, not, um, when you're younger, not available. So you learn to turn inside and kind of withdraw and safety within. So that's to me physical intelligence uh, mm-hmm. on a psychological level. I mean, obviously, there's there's things like sleep, diet, and exercise that are important, you know, because our mind and our body are connected, and we need to have good mm-hmm. sleep, good diet, good exercise for good mental health. But mm-hmm. really, uh, physical intelligence is a, is that quest for safety. Is the world okay? And we uh, we find safety not we, we can't eliminate threat. The world is a crazy more so than ever place and uh, it's never you're not going to find this threatless utopia but you can find connection that that creates safety and then the toddler starts to move in this place of emotional intelligence where they're starting to interact with each other other people and there there's emotions that come up around uh interactions with other people and uh you're you're learning how you through emotions and interaction you're learning the boundaries of where you end and where the other person begins and, and that's through that emotion you're learning to emotionally regulate and it gets a little more complicated i think but it's to me it's about emotional re- regulation and we learn emotion to emotionally regulate through our relationships and uh and in mm. fact i think what the essence of really deep therapy for me is if if I'm the therapist and I'm regulated and connected and I'm in connection with you and you're dysregulated and sharing an emotional story, if we're in connection and I'm regulated, I'm helping you to regulate. Right. That's helping you process that in the moment. But also presumably what the science is starting to show is if we're really deeply connected and you're really deeply emotionally involved and I'm regulating you, you're internalizing that regulation. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah. We can we can start to model like we like we know how to. It's innate in us as cho- as children. We do that. We model behavior somatically. So yeah, we we begin to model the things that we can see that we we don't have, but we we would like to have like that next yeah. level connection and safety. Yeah, I think when you're deeply connected and emotional, you 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 drop into that childlike state, mm-hmm. and then. You're in, if I'm the therapist and I'm helping you regulate, you're internalizing that so that you can self-regulate to a deeper extent yeah, uh, wow. on your own. And so to me, that's the heart of emotional intelligence. And so when we talk about physical intelligence, I think the, the root of it is fear or terror. And that connection is what brings us a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And when it so emotional intelligence, the the, the 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 wound, let's call it. I'm not a big fan of that word, but the wound is a uh, mm. shame. That's to me where shame is that emotional dysregulation and overwhelm and collapse. Okay, and not collapse from a sense of safety, but collapse from like a a sense of yourself, kind of you know diminished self so we collapse and our self right. is diminished through shame, and then maybe we overinflate into ego. To yes. try to protect ourselves in that kind of inflation, deflation, 
where it's really to me about stepping into relationship and, and meeting other people through connection that, that yeah. uh, brings emotional regulation. Yeah, that's interesting because both both those um, behaviors come through. Like if you're collapsing, you're kind of, I always hunch over. My body just hunches over. And then if I'm overinflated, like you, I think you just did it, you puff your chest out, yeah. Yeah, so it's, there's that somatic physical collapse. Yeah. And you, you're, when you're collapsing, you're making yourself small. You're, you're diminishing yourself. Mm. Uh, and then when you expand, you're overinflating yourself. And, and really, you know, if you can drop that and step into that vulnerable place of connection. Mm. And so connection is helpful or connection provide safety and connection also uh, leads to emotional regulation, which leads to a strong sense of self. I think that emotions are where we get that sense of self. Okay. And then, so if I'm just wrapping, um, when I talk about conceptual intelligence, it's kind of a little bit more esoteric, but it's like the world of language and beliefs. And we all have these fears, we all have these shames and we tend to bury them and we cover them up with story. So it's our belief systems, our conceptual intelligence is our belief systems. It's our stories. Mm-hmm. And it's really the land of the trickster, I think. Oh. We tell ourselves these stories that kind of make ourselves feel better. And we, we, we tend to, uh, oh, I don't have work to do there. or I don't have this. or I don't have that. And then we project. It's also the land of projection. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't come to terms with my own evil my own darkness and so i projected on others and i say they're evil and uh oh, that's a it's a big topic but yeah for sure um that, is good day yeah i think that this what i'll call conceptual intelligence is really uh a lot about learning to be skeptical of our own story yeah and our projections as well and and yeah own projections but but like just learning that that we we all create these stories to kind of create certainty in our lives and they're they're all they're just stories right um it's kind of like sensory input isn't it like collecting all the sensory input i think the sensory input you know we, we get our our senses it all comes in and then we filter it through this kind of primitive safety fear thing and then we filter it again through this emotionally primitive uh shame thing right. and, and then and then it comes out as a story and mm-hmm. uh, the story is more about creating certainty in an uncertain world and, and oh. sort of become flexible with our stories and realize that it's just the story we're telling ourselves like the story is like uh, Wow. This is what needs to happen for the world to be a better place. I know it. We need to uh, yeah. uh, elect Bernie or Sanders or whatever. <laughs> he's kind of like inflated guy, isn't he? In a way, like he's got a lot of, he's very direct. That's what I mean. I, I really like a lot of the things that he's doing. But um, yeah. And he's been, yeah, he's a real, uh, yeah, he's got a lot going on and he's got a lot of, uh, story. A lot of people make up a lot of stories around him because, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a whole that's what, I was talking to my friend yesterday about the cheap seats, like what Brené Brown calls the cheap seats. I don't mean to demean anyone there, but um, like the people that aren't in the arena 
doing what they're doing, but they they have this need to like sit in the front row and throw tomatoes at people. Mm. <laughs> a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that. So I'll just kind of keep my rap going here. Yeah. We're, developmentally, we see those three phases as like the infant, the toddler, and the preschooler, you know, walking or birth, walking and talking. Mm-hmm. Um, that physical intelligence, emotional intelligence, and then conceptual intelligence. And the, the, the child is really a generalist. Um, and, and, and so that's, you know, kind of conception through about five years old. That's our developmental path. And then there's this period from about five years old to puberty where not a lot's happening. We're just kind of assimilating our, our generalist abilities. And then in adolescence, we go through this whole nother stage where uh, we separate from our parents. We move from these codependent relationships with our parents where we're kind of needy and helpless and we have depend on them in, a, in an asymmetrical way we, we depend on them but they they're not really in a healthy relationship they don't depend on us mm-hmm. and then we move into you know partner partner relationships and that is uh interdependent there's just a lot of talk about independence and i think a lot of us would say that that's kind of a myth that we move from codependence to interdependence right i agree Separate- yeah, we separate from our parents and we our, our relationship dynamic, our primary relationship shift from codependence to interdependence. And, and, and on a neurological level, our brain then begins to prune down. And so it's a period of like the unused neurons and the unused connections kind of fade away. Hmm. It's what it's called. And then it, there's another stage of myelination where the, the brain basically insulates itself. So that insulation makes it lightning quick. Wow. But that is, so that's adolescence and this development of the prefrontal cortex, which is like our adult part of the brain. She's like a thunderstorm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so developmentally, that's uh, a period of differentiation. So like, my middle schooler is taking is, is starting on this path of, of adolescence and he's taking piano lessons. Mm. So that musical pathway is, is being highlighted in him in a period where it's use it or lose it. So he's by empowering himself to study music, he's keeping that pathway lit up. Mm. And so, you know, that should be something that carries with him. My high schoolers, you know, taking French lessons. So he's getting a little bit of the second language pathway that's staying lit up. Amazing. But so it's a little bit of specialization during adolescence. And to me that, that unfolds into in a bigger picture, like mission and purpose, like who are you? What, what is your role in the village? Let's say as, mm-hmm. as you into adulthood. Utility, and so, yeah. And it's, so like I, those are all pieces of what I call social intelligence, which is really the intelligence that, that comes online during adolescence, like moving mm-hmm. into the world as an adult and through this period of adolescence. And what do you want to be when you grow up and things like that? Um, wow. So I, I use that developmental model to help me make sense of all the various theories of psychology that are running around a buck in the world and can be so very confusing and attachment theory and polyvagal theory and emotional regulation and status. And yeah. And then, you know, we're fooled by our language and we, even, even the language we use defines part of how we see the world. If I were, if I were raised in an East Asian language, I might view the world differently 
just yeah. by the, the value of, of the nature of the language that I use. And people that are fluent in multiple languages have a bit of flexibility in that area. That's true. Um, and, and so uh, I don't know how much time we have. Got a minute. <laughs> a minute. Well, each one of those developmental stages that I've outlined has what I would call a transpersonal stage. So oh. uh, if we study yoga, we might develop a physical sense of safety that leads to a bliss or come to bliss. And the emotional, when we we really define, have a well-defined sense of self and emotionally regulated, we can tap into intuition and a felt sense of the world that really goes beyond the five senses. Uh, That's cool. And then, you know, the next one is like, it's even weirder, but you can, you can start when you have kind of a conceptual flexibility, you can start to touch into the uh, feeling of connection and unity that we're all connected. Right. And right. and so on. The social intelligence has a, a, a transpersonal dimension. It's even yeah. weirder. It's like uh, that sense that I am everything and I am nothing. Yes, yes. Yeah, and for sure. So those 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 transpersonal experiences can then inform your 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 developmental experience as well. Like if I hit this state of bliss, it might expose places where I don't feel safe. Oh, and, I see. Uh, and by creating a greater sense of safety, it, it can give me the capacity for more bliss, more physical bliss. I see. So anyhow, that, that's something I've just been, uh, so it's a model called the eight circuits of consciousness that I've been nice for a long time. And I'm really starting to write about it's yeah. Wow. Cool. Look, I'm, look I'm, forward to, to more of your writing on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, that's that was quite uh, quite an hour. So, thank yeah. you, Mike. That's beautiful. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate you inviting me into this. And it was yeah. I just want to reflect that it is really beautiful to talk to you extensively. Like we do meet very regularly. I know your presence very well. Yeah. But just just talking to you in this hour has made me realize, hey, we we have a lot in common and. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, me too. Me too. If anybody wants to find you or find some of your work, is it available yet or are you still working on that? Um, MikeGathers.com is kind of my, my website. It, right now that points to another website called Engineering Journey, which is uh, kind of an outdated website when I was looking to coach engineers. Um, okay. Now kind of in the process of re as I move out into the world from my, my health crisis, I'm really more interested in just doing transformational coaching. But as an engineer, I also enjoy working with entrepreneurs and, and smarty pants people. Yes. But, but I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and I'm exploring Twitter a little bit. And uh, I, I hope to be putting myself out there more and more as a transformational coach. Lovely. I'm sure we'll see you emerge in that area. Yeah. As you go. Stay tuned. Yes. Well, thanks very much. And um, Thank thanks, you. everybody.
Thanks everyone for joining today. I hope you found some value in this episode. Um, I'd like to invite you to understand one thing that you took away from this conversation. If you would like to support the podcast, we now have a Patreon page, which I'll link in the show notes. And we also have a Facebook community called We Are The Light People. Thank you for your time, energy, attention and love today. And take care. Safe journeys.